So tonight we're going to continue on in our series on a call to prayer from 2 Chronicles 7.14, uh, which is, of course, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Quick review, part one, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about we're taking phrase by phrase here, and we started with the little word if, right? The biggest little word in the Old Testament, if my people will pray, then I will hear, forgive, heal their land. So we talked about if then language. That's a logic statement, right? If this is true, then that must be true. Or it's contract language. If you do your part, then I will do my part. And when it comes to the Bible, if then is covenant language. You find that all throughout the covenant. If you will do your part, then God says, I will fulfill my promise. All right, your part, my part. And it made the distinction, very important one, that God's love is unconditional, right? There's nothing that we could ever do to unearn the love of God because there's nothing we could ever do to earn it. He is love. It's who he is. It's not just something that he does, loving people who are lovable, but it's who he is. It emanates from him, and it's not at odds with his judgment and his holiness and his righteousness. He is love, and that extends to all men everywhere forever. His love is unconditional, but his promise, the fulfillment of his promise is conditional. If you will, then I will. And that's Old Testament. It's also New Testament. All right, that's a whole nother subject that we could go into that we're not going to. But this is exactly what Tom talked about a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning, that all of life is lived either in submission and obedience to God with the resulting blessing or in rebellion and disobedience with the resulting destruction. Amen? All right, so that was part one. Tonight, we're gonna move on to part two, the next phrase, if my people called by my name. Now, why did God say it that way? Why didn't he just say uh, you guys or Israel or anyone? We know the, the context that we've talked about of this scripture is in chapter six, Solomon, chapter five, that dedicated the temple, chapter six, Solomon is praying and he's listing all of these conditions and asking if that God would hear from heaven if the people repent. If we get into sin this way, if this happens, if we lose in battle because we were trusting ourselves, but in all of these six and then seven conditions, if we repent, if your people repent, hear, Lord, from heaven in this place, the house of God dedicated to him, hear and forgive and heal. And then Second Chronicles seven fourteen, then is God's answer. And he says, if my people call by my name, so why didn't he just say, if you guys will pray or if Israel prays, why didn't he just put it that way? Why be so specific? Well, God is making it clear that he considers Israel to be a possessed people, right? Stamped with his royal insignia as, first of all, being owned by him, my people, and then secondly, representing him in the earth, my name. All right, let's talk about each one of those individually for a few minutes here. First of all, my people. Can I say it this way? The Lord is very aware <laughs> that he is the rightful possessor of all those whom he has redeemed. And I would say he's more aware of that than most redeemed people are. 
<laughs> right? But he's very aware of that. And in the Old Testament, of course, when God says, my people, who is he talking about? Who does he mean, my people? The nation of Israel, of course. Exodus seven sixteen. this is Moses speaking on behalf of God to the Pharaoh of Egypt, says, the Lord, the God of Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let who? Those guys, those nice people, those sweet people who just should be able to randomly frolic about the earth. No, he says, let my people go so that they may serve me in the wilderness. He's saying, Pharaoh, you are acting like you own these people. These are not your people. These are my people. And they were not made to serve you. They were created to serve me, right? Exodus 19, five and six, my people. Now, therefore, if there's that word if, there's that covenant language. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, then, parenthetically, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right, and then Leviticus 26, 12 says, I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be who or what? My people. In the New Testament, when God says, my people, who's he talking about? Who does he mean? Us, right? The church. He's talking about the church. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. In the New Testament, it's the church. 2 Corinthians 6.16, and this is actually quoting Leviticus 26.12 that we just read. For Paul says, for we are the temple of the living God. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. All right, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you, he's writing to the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Titus 2, 13 to 14, it says, Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. My people. The church is a covenant people. We are. Amen? We are a covenant people. We are an if-then people. <laughs> We're an if-then people. Nobody else but the covenant people of God have the right to call on God for change in the earth. Does that make sense? Joe Blow, non-Christian, does not have a right to call on God to bring change in the earth. Now, God is merciful. We know that the first prayer God assuredly hears from every sinner is the sinner's prayer, a prayer of repentance and submission to his lordship and his salvation. But God is merciful. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And God, I think there are times it, it's he's sovereign. If he wants to hear the prayer of a sinner, he can. But sinners do not have, people who are not born again, who are not the people of God, do not have a right to call on God to bring change in the earth. But we do. We have a right to call upon the Lord to bring change from heaven into the earth. The flip side of that is nobody else but the covenant people of God have the responsibility to call upon God to bring change in the earth. It's our responsibility. There's an onus, a demand upon us to participate with God in bringing his kingdom 
to bear upon the earth. Think about the Lord's Prayer for a moment. We're instructed to pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We don't ask for just anything that we whimsically or or even really sincerely uh, to meet deep needs. We don't just ask for anything and everything that we want. Our desire, even in praying about things that we believe are needs that we have, our desire is that the kingdom of God, the order of God, the will of God would come from heaven into the earth. And you know, just a side note, we talked about this uh, before, but it says, if my people will pray in the Old Testament. But do you remember that Jesus said his disciples came in Matthew 6 to ask him to teach them to pray? And he didn't say, well, if you ever get around to it, or if you pray, do it like this. He said, when you pray, it's if in the Old Testament, Jesus said, when. So it's not just that we can ask God to do his will in the earth, but we must, we're expected to pray, to participate with God in releasing the righteous order of heaven to reverse the chaos rained down on the earth by the corruption of sin. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's order, perfect order to upend and do away with the chaos that sin brought into the earth. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul writes to Timothy as a pastor and says, in your church, here's what I would desire. He says, first of all, all right, stop right there for just a second. First of all means priority, doesn't it? You think in the Greek, it says, well, if you ever think about it, if it ever comes to this, it's no. It means, first of all, first of all, then I urge. It's a priority, an urgent priority that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. He didn't just say pray for what he's getting ready to say. He lists these four different types of prayer. In two weeks, two sessions, we're going to be talking about all manner of prayer and look at some of these individually. But he's saying like throw the kitchen sink of prayer basically at all of the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. I urge that you make them for all people, not just for my family, my church, the people I want to see something happen with, for all people and for kings and all who are in authority, or it says here in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty or in godly and dignified in every way. Now, note that he doesn't say, I've been in prayer meetings where, not here, but different places where that scripture was quoted to pray with, but in a little bit different way, incompletely, to say that let's pray, as Paul told Timothy, let's pray that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all dignity and honesty godly and dignified in every way. But that's not what Paul said. He said that that is a fruit of the root of asking the kingdom of God to come, pray for all people, supplicate for them, pray for them, intercede for them, give thanks for them, for all people and for kings and everyone who is in authority. Because if you pray the will of God into the earth in that way, the resulting fruit will be we get to live quiet and peaceable lives, godly and dignified in every way. He says, this is good And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why it's so important that we come here tonight to this prayer meeting, that we come during the week when there's prayer going on, that we meet informally in our homes or at a coffee shop to pray, each of us individually, all of us corporately, accepting and discharging the holy duty that we have to pray because we are his people. So if my people, secondly, call by my name, So the name of God, it has to do with his identity, who he is and how he is. 
And let me just say, this is a whole subject on its own that we won't get into, but God is passionate for the honor of his own name because it has to do with his reputation. The representation of his holy, unchanging nature and character to the whole universe. In Exodus 20, verse 7, this is one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, we think of taking the name of the Lord in vain as using it as a curse word, and it certainly is that. But beyond that, taking the name of the Lord, another translation says to no use or frivolously or to no purpose. All right, so we cannot be those who claim to be Christians who we take the name of the Lord. I'm one of God's people. We can't take his name and then not act like him, right? Not uh, to tarnish his reputation by not being like him, to not represent him accurately and completely and wholly. Psalm 138.2, the psalmist said, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. In other words, who you are and how you are. And then your word declared in just exactly the way you have determined to declare it. We see an example of this in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Moses had made a request to the Lord. He said, a couple of requests, I guess. He said, if you don't go up taking the children of Israel into the land, then we're not going. Don't take us. Because if you're not going with us, there's no point in being there. And then he asked the Lord to show him his glory. Think about that for a second. Show me your glory, the the exact manifestation, the full manifestation of the person of God, all of his magnificence, all of the wonder and awe of seeing him fully just the way he is. Isn't that incredible? But look at the way the Lord answered that. He did that. He showed Moses his glory, but look at the way he chose to show him his glory. It says, Exodus 34, verses six and seven, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's awesome, right? Forgiving and loving and being wonderful and faithful and steadfast. But it doesn't stop there. That's all glorious and really good. But it says, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and even the fourth generation. It's like, wow, Lord, could you have stopped with the good stuff? Why did you have to go on to that stuff that maybe puts you in not such a good light, makes us afraid a little bit? Well, the glory of God is the full representation of God, whether we understand him exactly and know how to interpret it or not. The Lord didn't just reveal himself, reveal his glory to Moses to be viewed by Moses and thought of or interpreted however Moses wanted to. You know, much of the church world today, I wish I could just say it's people that don't know God, but much of the church world, unfortunately, acts as though we can interpret God in new ways or think of him however we want to think of him. And we'll take the parts that are good and we'll reject the parts that we don't think of as being so great. He didn't let Moses do that and he doesn't let us do that. He proclaimed the name of the Lord to him. He represented himself to Moses as exactly who and what he is in exactly the way he wanted to represent it. All right, let that sink in for just a moment. 
right? And now we are his people called by his name, and he makes his name known to us so that we represent him rightly. Matthew 6, 9 in the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or the common English version translates that, our Father in heaven, help us to honor your name. Now, that doesn't just mean that we worship him by name or honor his name with praise, right? And it's not just a precursor to get to the prayer, something that we religiously quickly skip by, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, like an entry, you know, dropping a quarter in the coin slot or something, and we move in to, to pray. It means that he's to be rightly perceived, rightly thought of, rightly understood, and rightly represented in the earth by those of us who are called by his name, even in prayer, We must represent him rightly, apprehending his will. Fill us with your will. Paul prayed for the Colossians that they be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, fruitful into every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. All right, even in prayer, we are to be fully apprehending the will of God and the knowledge of God and representing him rightly, even as we make requests to him. Amen? And we represent God. Whoever and however we are, we're representing him. People look at our lives when we take the name of God and they assume that we're representing him. They're assuming that he is like we are. May we be like him. May they be able to assume that when they look at my life, what I say, what I think, my beliefs, my actions, that that's how God is. May it be so. May we not be taking the name of the Lord in vain or to no purpose or to misrepresent him. Amen? In getting ready to close here, let me just say this. We are not independent operators with God's power in the earth. Can I say that again? We're not independent operators with God's power in the earth. In other words, we don't have access to and wield his power in any way we want to, right? We represent, we're called by his name. We represent him in the earth. The sons of Sceva, if you think about that in the book of Acts, they found that out, didn't they? They were casting out devils. And they were doing it in the name of this Jesus whom Paul preaches. And, you know, they may have even had good intentions. I don't know. We don't know what the intentions of their heart was, but they sure didn't go about it right at the least. And the demons one day said, you know, we know Jesus. We even know Paul, but who are you? And they jumped on him, beat him up, stripped him naked, and sent him out. (laughs) They found out that they were not independent operators with God's power in the earth. My people called by my name. All right, so in concluding, just to sum up, when we pray, we are praying, first of all, as those possessed by God, my name, with the right to pray, but also the responsibility to pray. And then secondly, called by my name as those representing God, apprehending his will in all situations and praying with the intention of seeing him have his way in all things. Let's pray. Father, that's our desire as your people called by your name, living under your lordship, uh, living under your direction, submitted to you, praying always to see your will, your order come in the earth and turn around all of the chaotic situations that sin has brought to it, which is pleasing to you and in the end is pleasing to us as well. We wanna be a people of prayer. We wanna be a people of rightful prayer, which is effective prayer, bringing your kingdom to come, your will to be done on the earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.